Welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special Sugar Success Stories interview. I have with me today Kim Kierkegaard. And Kim is American, but has been living in Canada since like almost 30 years, since the late 1980s. And she had a career as, as a nurse, and then she transitioned that into a long-standing career, multi-decade uh, career in IT. And at her highest weight, believe it or not, this woman that we're looking at today at just over 200 pounds used to be 400 pounds at her highest weight, but actually could have been higher because she said that's as high as my scale went. So who knows what the real number was, but it was at least 400 pounds. And her story of recovery is just absolutely inspirational. So I'm so grateful to have you here today. Here's one other thing I wanted to mention about Kim. She's the mother of a son. And she is, true story, the grandniece, the seven times down the line grandniece of the philosopher Kierkegaard, for those of you who geek out on philosophy, which I used (laughs) to do in university. So this is pretty exciting. This is pretty exciting for me. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'm not even sure where to start with this, but maybe do you want to start with... Uh, um, how did you get to become 400 pounds, Kim? Uh, 400 pounds. It's a lot of accumulation of eating my feelings, (laughs) not knowing how to deal with feelings, emotions, uh, trauma, and just stuffing everything down, you know, don't want to deal with it. So eat this and, you know, that'll make me feel better. And, you know, it doesn't. So you eat a little bit more because, you know, you get that little dopamine hit and, and the sugar high. And so you eat a little bit more and then you eat a little bit more and uh, not going out, not moving, having a very, um, very dull life. (laughs) I didn't do anything. Um, I looked after my son as a single parent and I worked, I came home and really ate, sat in front of the TV and played with my son and uh, didn't do too much. Um, And so of course that just kind of accumulate little by little, you start gaining weight. And uh, before you know it, you, I am over 400 pounds. So I, yeah, it, it was a, a long ways to get to that point. But uh, I'm now here and (laughs) it was a lot of work and um, I realized that I had to put the effort in, you know, it took me a while to get to 400 pounds. So it's going to take me a while to get rid of the 400 pounds and a lot of hard work. And that included um, a lot of dealing with my brain and the whys of why I did what I did. Right. And how long did it get you to get up to 400 pounds? Like, were you overweight as a child? Uh, as a child, not really. It was more once I kind of hit my teens. Um, as a child, my father was in the hotel business. So we moved a lot to different hotels that he needed to, to deal with and help. So I ended up moving um, to six different elementary schools in two different countries and three different high schools in two different countries. So back and forth between the U.S. and Canada and making it very difficult for me to actually ground myself, connect with people and establish friendships um, because we were always moving. So as as I became a teenager, I gave up trying to make friends. I gave up trying to get involved with groups because why we were just going to move again. Um, So that sort of was the building block for me becoming a recluse adult and not dealing with feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, so as a teenager, you started to gain weight. And then at what, how old were you when you hit the 400 pound mark? I was, um, 
around my early forties. Okay. So it took you 20 plus years to just slowly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So let me I do mean, that. I would lose a little bit and then I would gain it. And then, you know, you try the diet fad and, and I've tried many different diets and none of them stuck because I only dealt with the body. I didn't deal with the mind as to why I was doing it. Right, right, right. All right. So you hit 400 pounds uh, in your early forties. And what was the turning point? Like at what point did you decide I got to do something about this? Um, Well, I reacquainted myself with a friend that I had known for 36 years and we lost touch for a few years in between. And I reacquainted myself with this friend and uh, realized going back and forth to where he lived and and where I am, um, I wanted to do things like we would go out and, and do different tours or go to the zoo or wanted to travel and I couldn't, I couldn't keep the pace right. Uh, couldn't go for hikes, couldn't go for walks. My knees were really, really bad. Just, you know, carrying that kind of weight around for 400 or for 20 years. Um, my knees are just kaput. So, you know, I wanted to do this traveling and I wanted to, to, to go and see him more, but in order for him, I couldn't fit on a plane. Wow. And that embarrassment of not being able to fit on a plane properly or having to, you know, ask for the seatbelt extender, um, it kind of drove me deeper into my recluse because I couldn't participate in life because I didn't fit into life anymore. And uh, I took, it took a lot of talking and a lot of guts for me to agree to go to, uh, on a trip to Denmark uh, with my mother and my friend to see because that's that's originally where I'm my family is from is Denmark and going over there it was difficult but I loved it because I was able to experience a different culture and this different culture didn't treat me like I was an outcast Hmm. I was embraced and and my family just you know was so happy to see me over there and so coming back I'm like I gotta change I, I gotta do something because I can't keep doing this. Um, I was pre-diabetic. I was having thyroid issues, high, high, high blood pressure. Um, and of course, my knees were, were not very good. So I started exploring different options, found keto, and uh, got very serious about keto, did investigating and figured out the best way to do it, and just went in and did keto and stayed very strict about it. And I did lose 80 pounds on my own. And then I lost my father and I got stuck for five years. Didn't move. I didn't go back up again, but I didn't lose anymore either. So I found that looking at what I was doing, I was still eating my feelings. It was keto food. It was healthy food, but I was still eating my feelings and pushing them down. So that overeating part wasn't being dealt with. Um, And I would also make a lot of the keto desserts, you know, and again, overeat them. Um, So at that point, uh, what changed was um, the job that I was working at for the last 20 years. Um, I had this amazing manager come in and we became very good friends and he saw something in me that I didn't at that time. And he mentored me and pulled me out of my little prison in my little corner and uh, showed me a compassion that I hadn't been shown for a very, very long time. And uh, after a year, he said, you know what, you do this job better than I do. So I'm going to step aside and I'm going to give you this job. You do the job. You become manager. And uh, he did. And that just completely excited me, woke me up. Um, And then several months later, he introduced me to Jane Steele Food Addiction. And I did a session with Jane and realized I have an addiction and I overeat. And so I signed up with Jane and worked with her uh, for several months, one-on-one every week to deal with the why, why do I do this? 
And after nine months of doing that uh, with Jane, I realized I was a very different person now. And the same friend introduced me to a gym. And he's like, you need to get in the gym. So I got into the gym and I have a trainer twice a week and committed to two a year with that. And uh, that helped me get from 400 to 216. So I'm still working on on slowly getting my way down, but um, I'm healthier. I'm not pre-diabetic at all anymore. Uh, My blood pressure is very normal. My thyroid issues are completely gone. Um, I still have my knee issues, but that's, that's kind of a replacement solution for that one. So Mm -hmm. incredible. And over the years, did you have like lots of people try and help you like your mom or your family members? And was there pressure on you to try and lose weight? Yeah. All the time. I felt so inadequate, you know, and I felt like such a failure as a daughter because, you know, and an embarrassment. So I hated my picture being taken. I wouldn't talk publicly. I wouldn't open my mouth. I had no voice. My voice was stolen from me. And um, I have now since found my voice. Um, I have boundaries. Uh, But yeah, I tried, you know, every diet that, you know, under the sun that was out there, my mother would bring these articles here, try this one or, you know, look at me odd if I took more food on my plate than she thought I should or, you know, so I stopped seeing people, I stopped going out for dinner with people or out with food because food became something I had to keep secret. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And does does obesity run in your families? Like when you look at your family tree, are there other food addicts and people with weight issues? My dad had, um, he had a belly on him. Um, he loved food. Uh, and it was more toward the end when he's, when he was kind of stopped his physical, like he used to do a lot of physical stuff. Um, and once he stopped doing that, then he started gaining the weight because he ate a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar. Might've been on the addiction spectrum too. He might've been. Yeah. And I mean, my mother, she will also say at some point, she goes, if it's in the house, then I'll eat it. So, you know, like she'll keep chocolate in the house, but she doesn't open it because then she'll eat it (laughs) and she won't be able to say no. So yeah, there's probably a little bit of addiction, but she's a very small, tiny woman. Okay. So, and my sister, she doesn't have any issues. No issues. Okay. Okay. So a bit of an analogy. And what about alcoholism? Like, do you see that around you at all? Uh, Nope. None of my, my, neither of my parents, you know, they were casual drinkers, but they didn't know uncles, aunts, grandparents, nothing really. So this is really quite, quite unusual for your family. Then it might've been a bit of a shock for everybody that there's this one member of the extended family that is, you know, dealing with this morbid obesity issue. So you, you, uh, you started to, to walk the path of recovery somehow you realize this isn't about a diet. I, mm-hmm. I need deeper recovery work. I need to understand why am I doing this? What's, why is this? Mo- maladaptive coping strategy in place. And then you needed to sort of approach this as an addiction. So tell us about what those two pieces look like for you. Well, when I took her uh, Jane's quiz, you know, to see, you know, if I'm on the addiction spectrum, uh, I was shocked, you know, of course, to find out, Oh, you know, I am on this addiction spectrum and I was using a lot of different things, you know, shopping and, um, gambling and you know drinking I would all of this to numb these feelings but the underlying issue was the food because when I take everything else away I still had the food issue and um I decided because at that point I had had a taste of life and I wanted more so I was at that point where you know what, if, if I don't do something now, I knew inside that I wasn't going to be around for much longer, that my body wasn't going to be able to take me any further. So I felt like I had hit my rock bottom 
And when Jane said, I have a solution for you, here's a meal plan. I'm going to work with you to find out why you're doing this. And I'm going to walk, you know, with you through this. And I said, okay, sign me up. And I completely surrendered to the process and trusted that Jane knew what was right and how to get me started. Because my head was very foggy. I wasn't thinking very clearly. I was depressed. Um, And again, it's the sugar, the carbs, all of that stuff was messing with my brain. Uh, So I just jumped in both feet and took a leap of faith and boom. Um, I have not wavered off of it. I've been abstinent for 650 days now. And I don't ever regret any decision and I have not looked back. Wow. Incredible. And I think some of those years that you were doing keto kind of set you up to be able to step in this time and go, no, no, never again, no sugars, no, and I'm assuming no artificial, no added sugars, no artificial chemicals or, or sugars, artificial. Yeah. All that's gone. Right. Yeah. I eat very clean. I eat, um, very naturally. Um, most, I started off eating some veggies and some meat and then we decided because uh, I was having inflammation issues with my knee that we were going to pull away from the vegetables. So she pulled me off vegetables Mm -hmm. and I just stayed carnivore for the next 10 months. Mm -hmm. And now I'm sort of slowly kind of introducing veggies back in again. I don't have them every meal. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may be four or five meals a week where I'll have veggies Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I have just healthy fats and meat. I mm-hmm. eat twice a day mm-hmm. and I am very content. I'm very full and satisfied and I, I don't miss any of it. Right? Right. I really don't, you know, food is fuel. I enjoy the meals I have, but it is just that it is just fuel for my body so that I can live a life. Right. And that's just so unusual after decades of it being so much more than that. And it certainly is a credit to the fact that you're on a meal plan that doesn't trigger cravings, right? When you, if you don't have cravings, you don't eat, don't eat it. If you don't want to eat it, you don't eat it. Right. And that's the goal. What was the hardest part? And like, let's say the first six months of like really getting abstinent and no matter what you don't use food compulsively, you're not overeating, you're not binge eating, you're not, Mm -hmm suppressing emotions with food. So what was that like? It was hard. It was really, really, really hard. Even though I had done the keto before, um, doing it this time, it was different. Um, And it was, it was hard, like having to come off of tea and the caffeine and getting off of that at the same time as no sugar and no carbs. Um, My roommate is a chef and he cooks everything, right? So it was always around me. And I knew I had to set myself up for success. So I had a long, straight talk with my roommates, like, look, this is what I'm doing. Um, I, I just need you to not be, you know, showing me food around the first 30 days, let me get into this and solid. Um, and I'll eat myself on my own. And, and then we'll see where it where we get to at that point. And and you know now he can eat and cook whatever, and it doesn't bother me um, because I know my I'm solid with my food. This is what I eat. I weigh and measure my food, stick it in the fridge, I prep it, and there's no question in my head. No, nope, this is my food. That's all there is. And is all your meals more or less made in advance now? Yeah. So I'll take one day uh, over the weekend and then I do my shopping. And then the next day I'll prep a bunch of meals and it's all sitting in the fridge, ready to go. And I don't have to worry about it. Wow. It makes life so simple when you don't have to spend a lot of time. Have you, have you had a really serious, like in the last 600 and some odd days, have you had a serious moment where you came close to relapsing or, or, or slipping or, and what, what was that like? Yep. Lots, lots of times I've, I've come close. 
Um, and I will usually get on the phone with my sponsor or I'll call Jane. I'm like, Jane, <laughs> I'm, I'm at this point. It's like the food's right in front of me. <laughs> you know, or I'll reach out to, I have a beautiful community of people that, you know, I can reach out to. And by the time I talk it out, I've learned that I have to talk what it is that I'm feeling. You know, if I've had a hard day, talk it out with somebody. And then once I've talked it out, it's gone. I don't have to force food down to make that feeling go away. I can talk about it, acknowledge it. Yep. I feel you. I know you're there, but you know what, right now I'm good and I'm going to release you. And I release that feeling and emotion and move on. How many would you say you've had over 600 days where you, you had to pick up that phone, you were hanging by a thread and you just barely got through? Uh, the first little bit was probably weekly, if not every other day. Um, and then as, as it's kind of progressed now and I got past the first year, it's maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. You know, it occurs to me that what I really should just say to you to asking you questions is just say to you, Kim, just tell us your story and I can just drift off into the back and just let you just tell your story. So add in anything you haven't touched on and I'm just going to give you free reign to just take this away. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that that I had all this back and forth with schooling, uh, which really set me up for not learning how to deal with rejection, not learning how to deal with uh, my emotions and feeling um, abandoned and disappointed that I can never, you know, get what my sister was getting. My sister, she was fine. She had, you know, was able to go to school in the same school for elementary, the same school for junior high and the same school, you know, for high school. So she made great connections and great friends and was involved in sports and clubs. And uh, for me, it was a very different experience. And uh, I mean, I remember as a teenager, you know, I'd get my allowance and what do I do? I go and spend it at the, the dollar store or the little corner store and buying all the little penny candies, right? And taking them home and it's like, okay, I have these for a week. Yeah, right. They would never last more than two days. <laughs> They'd be gone. Um, once I got my driver's license and I was able to drive, um, then I, you know, started exploring all the fast food restaurants. And, and I also found that the friends that I had um, realized that I had a car. So it's like, oh, well, we'll call Kim when we need a ride. But when they didn't need a ride, I wasn't called. So I learned very quickly that there was always conditions to friendships. And, you know, I, I knew I couldn't rely on, on people. And I had to, you know, sort of cope on my own. And I didn't learn how to talk or tell what I needed to anybody. And so I, I forced all of that down with food. And it wasn't until recently that I learned how to vocalize what I needed. Um, I had, uh, of course, you know, uh, some traumas in my life and dealing with those traumas um, and some legal issues that I also had. Um, I did lose custody of my son for a little bit and my parents were raising him and uh, working through all of that struggle um pushed me behind a little bit you know as far as my growth as an adult um i was i was i would say lost as an as a teenager and an adult um very depressed i didn't really have a lot to live for um my son was it and you know i got custody of him back again and i was like okay i gotta change and uh, so went to school and back to school again and did some IT education and went into that and got a job that I have had for 20 years and uh, worked my way from dispatcher to manager of on-site services for five departments. 
loved the people I worked with. Um, but I also found that as my work with Jane grew and I started figuring out who I was as a person, I was not, you know, just a mother. I was not just a victim. I was not just somebody who had trauma. I was not somebody who had PTSD. I'm Kim. And I'm a person and I have feelings and I have needs. And I was learning who, who I am and how to express those, those needs and those desires. Um, I even started dreaming once I started, you know, working through this with Jane. And I started writing bucket list items down that I want to do when I, you know, lose weight. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, why am I waiting till I lose weight to start these things? And that was where something clicked in my brain. And I picked up, you know, a guitar and I started learning how to play the guitar. And I started planning trips and I started, um, I went online and I looked for archery lessons and I started taking archery lessons. I now have my own bow and I love going out and doing, you know, archery and, and, and playing the guitar. I picked up paintbrush and started painting and um, doing all sorts of different crafts and getting that creative side out, started writing and, and realized, you know, I have to let this creative side out. My inner child was just screaming to be creative. And uh, I now had the know-how to do that, to, to let that inner child out and go, it's okay, I hear you, I acknowledge you. I'm gonna just do something fun. And one of the things that I realized I didn't know how to do is I didn't know how to play. And I've learned how to play and to enjoy life for, for that moment, to be present and to live my life as if it was my last moment to really enjoy everything there is, to stop and smell the rose, to stop and smell the magnolia blossom, you know, to look at the beautiful stars as I'm walking, you know, and realize, wow, this world is amazing. And there's so much beauty in it. And I've just not seen it for so long. Colors are so much brighter now. Um, One of the big key things for me changing that is my thinking. I was a very negative, sarcastic person growing up because I didn't have anything happy in my life. And uh, I flipped that around to very positive thinking. So if I find myself going down a negative path, I go, nope, nope. Turn that around, change your perspective, make it a positive. And, you know, now it's, I don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just, I think as a positive, you know, it's like, well, there must be a reason this is happening. Okay. I'm just going to sit back and wait to see what it is. And, and, you know, if I'm stuck in traffic, well, hey, then I get to listen to the podcast a little longer, or I get to listen to the book I'm, I'm listening to a little bit longer, or I get to listen to more music, you know, I'll eventually get to where I need to go. And I'm not going to stress over something I cannot control. And that changed, you know, how my brain looked at life. Because you can't see the beauty in life. I couldn't see the beauty in life when I was thinking negative. But once I started thinking positive, I could see the colors. I could see the beauty in the, the flowers and the animals and the colors and the plants and, and all that life has to offer. You know, I want to learn and I want to do as much as I can. I say yes to everything somebody suggests that I try. If I have never tried it before, the answer is always yes, I will try it. And, you know, I just came back from Florida visiting my son down there. And we went to um, Bush Gardens. And I went on my first roller coaster in 30 years. (laughs) And oh my gosh, was that ever exciting, you know, and it's like, I could fit in the roller coaster, I had no issues on the plane. And it was such an experience to go 
and and it, and feel that kind of excitement and you know almost in a sense feel like a normal person you know without any issues i didn't have any issues i could walk all over the place and you know went fishing in the gulf of mexico and caught shark and um, you know, uh, the trip before that, I was down there and went uh, on one of the airboats and came back and actually held a six-year-old alligator. And it was, it was amazing just to go and do this stuff and, and experience life. And, you know, I get such a rush from it. And, you know, if the food just takes, to, it takes a back plate to everything, you know. I don't go anywhere thinking about what am I going to eat? When am I going to have my next meal? You know, you know, am I going to eat in front of people? I don't have any of that anymore. Um, I'm able to plan my meals ahead of time. If I'm going somewhere where I know I can't eat the food because there might be sugar in it, I take my food with me. And I don't, I don't, have an issue with that and I don't stress over it and the people around me don't stress over it because I'm not stressing over it it's like nope this is my food and I'm fine and they're oh, okay and everybody just carries on with their life you know they don't care that I'm eating something different because I'm not making a big deal of it and um, my family all knows that I'm that I'm eating no sugar no carbs and they've been very accepting and very um helpful with how, you know, what can I buy, you know, so that you have food here in the house. And it's been fantastic feeling supported and, and loved in this journey. Incredible. What did, what does your son think? This must be, he got his mother back, didn't he? He did. And the first time I didn't post any pictures of myself uh, when I started with Jane. So People knew I was working with Jane, but they didn't know how it was really affecting my body. And uh, after two years of COVID, um, I finally went down and saw my sister and my son who are down in Florida. I got off the plane and they're like, oh my gosh, look at you. And it's like, I can put my arms all the way around you. You know, they were so excited and it was just, you know, my nephews all ran up to me and they're like, oh, my arms go all the way around you now. And <laughs> wow, that having was... that look on their face, it was just, it was just pure. It, I was just so excited, you know. Like, oh my gosh. I couldn't express how happy I was just to see the expressions on their faces when they saw me the first time. Oh, that would have been like the most amazing video clip, right? Son sees mother after two years. She's dropped from 400 down to 200 plus pounds. Like, it must have been incredible. He must have just been like in shock. Yeah, I was. He, he really had no idea. Like, it was a real surprise. Well, he knew, he knew I was losing weight, but mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, to actually visualize, you know, what I look like before. I mean, he was seeing my face and, and when mm -hmm. I did FaceTime stuff. Sure. But to actually see the whole body yeah, and to see that I can walk, you know, and go for walks with him and his dog and, oh. and just participate in life mm -hmm. and want to do things. It, it was so different. They're not used to that. And, you know, it's like, oh, should we take the elevator? Oh, no, we can walk upstairs. So, like, oh, okay. <laughs> so whole, whole new lease on life. It's just such... So such an incredible testament to how resilient our bodies are. Mm. You were 400 pounds for decades, yep. right? Like really, maybe not quite at the 400, but like, you know, 300s and then well at the 400s. And it's just, to, and to think all those medical conditions and not only have they all reversed, but you've actually found happiness again and joy for life and appreciation of yeah. the beauty in life and it's an incredible story. Like, how yeah. long did it take? Would you say? I know that when I first, totally no sugar, no flour, I was flat for a long time, and then and then I lost my well, sort of lost my absence. I left my twelve step program and I was out on my own for about oh gosh, let me think here, 
about 10 years. Yeah. And I was 95% sugar flour free. I mostly ate three meals, you know, no snacks, whole foods. I, I ate very, very well, but I still every now and would make these exceptions with sugar and flour and mm. processed foods. And, um, and I never felt really great after I ate them and I'd get migraines or just little slumps, right? I would notice that really I did want to fully let it go, but I didn't do it again until I met a guy named Jack who taught me this technique and I got totally sugar flour free. And I was by then 48 years old Mm. and in my twenties and thirties. And even in my forties, when I gave up sugar and flour, I bounced back. It took a while, but I bounced back and found that happiness that you're talking about that energy that, wow, I'm, this is really a great place to be much, much quicker. I think I spent six months flat, almost depressed. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I gave up sugar to feel like this, right? And I didn't didn't know how much longer it was going to be before there was a shift in brain chemistry. So tell us a bit about that, your experience in terms of the timeline for you. Uh, the first few months, I've, I found it very difficult, but then I don't know, for something just clicked in my brain saying, okay, if I'm taking away this, the sugar and the carbs that, that is triggering my dopamine to, to go up, I need to replace that with something. So I learned that's part of where I learned how to play, right? I would go and do something that made me happy. So I would listen to music. I would dance. I would sing. I would paint. I would play the guitar. I would do puzzles, you know, something creative. So when I kind of realized that by doing something with my hands or being creative um, and letting that side of my brain start engaging, it was giving me that same feeling. Like I was, I was happy and I was starting to find this peace. And so I realized, oh, I'm onto something here this play is really, really important. And the more I learned how to play, the less that little voice in my head was going, oh, you need to eat. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, let's go and have, you know, let's break this abstinence and, and go and, and, you know, that, that chocolate looks really good. So let's go and have some of that, or let's hit this fast food and have pizza. Um, I could go, no, no, I don't need that. You know, I'm just going to go play my guitar, you know, or I'm just going to go for a walk with the dogs in the woods, or I'm just going to spend some time painting. And I didn't, you know, I realized that was critical for me in my recovery was learning how to play and letting that creative side out and not being so serious. And like, I didn't spend hours thinking about, all the things that I was missing out on. I started thinking about all the things that I was going to be able to do and the things that I was going to be able to gain because of not having the sugar and the carbs. Was there ever a voice in your head that said, you know, you've done so well, like 99% perfect is good enough. Like, right. And how do you deal with that little voice in your head that says, it's no big deal if you make a single little baby exception here and there every now and then. Uh, sure, that voice always pops up every now and then. And um, again, I was like, nope, it, it's not an option because I do not want to go back to that prison. You know, that 400 pound prison, don't want to go back there again. I don't want that life. Um, but I also uh, know that the positive thinking helps me. Um, the creative side helps me. The play side helps me keep that stability, you know, and I know that it's not just about the food, you know, it's, it's like a three-legged stool and I have to keep those, those legs all even. I got to work on the spiritual side. I got to work on the mind and I got to work on the body. And, you know, I can't focus on just one because then I'm going to fall off that stool. So, you know, I have um, a lot of faith, you know, that my higher power is, is helping me through this and, you know, bringing me to the point where I have a voice and I can voice my needs. Um, After 20 years of being in the same job, um, 
I was feeling kind of stagnant there and there was no growth happening. And there's a lot of chaos that was going on around the job. And I just, I didn't like being in that environment anymore. And because it, it was triggering just being in that chaos environment. Um, and I did some work on writing a letter to uh, two people that really hurt me and took a lot of my power away. And those words that they said to me when I was younger haunted me and kept me in my little prison. And I wrote a letter to both of them and expressed what I needed, what I felt. And I took my power back in those letters. And I said, your words no longer have power over me. I'm taking it back. I have a voice and I am living, moving forward and living my best life. And I read those letters to my sponsor. I ripped them up and I burned them. The next day I got a job offer. Somebody was trying to poach me uh, for a better position. And um, I said, yes, actually, I am very interested in your job offer. Within a week, I had a new position and a new job. And I gave my notice and I've had nothing but this incredible peace about this decision. And I know it's, it's nothing but my higher power putting this in place. And, you know, me voicing my needs and my desires and those coming back because I have a voice and my voice is worthy of being heard. Mm, incredible. You have a voice and you know how to ask for what you need and to set boundaries and you're tuned in. What would spark joy in me? What would be fun? What would be playful or creative or interesting? Yeah. Now that I've let sugar not be that main thing. And you also have faith that you live in a universe yeah. that's hearing you. Got it, Kim. Got it. We'll work with you, right? Like, yeah. and those two pieces are so essential, right? To be able to ask and to trust and have faith that you will receive and to, because we can block the gifts, can't we? When we don't we think. Can. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about that? Uh, absolutely. Um, I have, have come to uh, a conclusion that my life isn't going to be working in this IT business that I am in right now. It's just, um, a temporary. What I really would love to be able to do, and in a few years, I'm going to work on it uh, and get me there. Um, but I would love to open up this retreat, a place where people can come and learn how to play, to learn how to let that creative side out and to let that inner child come out and just have fun and, and learn um, to enjoy life. Um, so I'm working on getting to that point. Um, and part of me getting to that point is, is actually writing a book about this play, learning how to play. So, uh, the next few years, that's, that's kind of where I'm heading and I'm going to be doing that and we'll see. So that's hitting my dopamine receptors. I'm like, that's so exciting. That's so amazing. I want to come. I want to come. And, <laughs> and you know what? I am struck by the fact that you're like, no, no, I'm not going to eat. I had my meal. I'm not using food to fill this moment. I'm going to go find something creative and pleasurable and fun to do, playful. But that per, that, that sort of pre-assumes and it necessitates that you make the time for it. And I find that my clients have struggled the most. It's true for all women, all men, probably too. If we overworked and if we're overwhelmed, we overeat. And yeah. that job number one often is actually to slow things down enough to carve out some time. So we feel time abundant. And then we ask ourselves, what would bring me joy? Yeah. What would be fun? What would be playful? What would be nurturing? What would be relaxing? Yeah, and, absolutely. And and we don't do that piece. It's so underappreciated, isn't it? I used to work overtime all the time. Like, yes. you know, I had done uh, at one point 45 straight days of work 
with that no is, no days off. Like it's insane what I was putting my body and through. And it's so typical. Mm. It really is common. It's like a common denom- denominator, I think, for those of us that that workaholism and that sugar addiction, like they just dovetail. Yeah. Right. And when, what happened- when I started with Jane, yeah, uh, that was the first thing that I did at work. It's like, look, I'm starting this new program and I need to focus on my health. So I will be working my eight hour day and that is it. When my time is done at 4.30, I'm out the door because I got things to do. Kim, that is so essential. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it's so hard to do because I have found that workaholism not always, but often overlaps with sugar, sugar mm. food issues. And we use food. We're driven at work because yeah. there's fear, there's, there's insecurity. There's a lot of, um, history there often, like our parents may have been on the workaholic spectrums. So we're working, we're really driven. We're working really hard and we're often very successful. And when we get tired, we turn to the food to give us, to override the fatigue or to give us a burst of energy to keep working. Right. And so when we're no longer using food to drive ourselves way past our point, past the fatigue, past the voice of, I need a break. I need to go home. It's unbearable, isn't it? Like to like, right. It's so workaholism is so sick. It's so painful. And so it's amazing that you did both of those pieces at the same time. You had to, didn't you? I had to. Yeah. I had to. Like, I had to realize, you know, sleep is also critical. Like, if I have to get enough sleep at night, because if I'm tired, then I'm more inclined to go in, you know, to the cravings and to give in to those cravings because I'm tired and I can't fight it. I don't have the energy. So sleep was very critical for me you know, making sure that I'm only working those eight hours and that I learn how to self-care, to give myself love. You know, um, I hated my body. I hated me when I first started this. And every day for the first six months, I had to tell my sponsor three things that I was grateful for about my body. And I didn't believe any of them, but I still had to say it. And after six months, one day I woke up and I looked in the mirror for the first time, like really looked in the mirror at myself. And it's like, I love you. And I meant it. And I knew that something had changed. And it's like, I started looking at my body differently. And it's like, oh, I like the way you're developing. And I like your arms. I like, you know. And I would put clothes on and I would try clothes on and look and it's like, oh, you look really good in that. And, you know, that's something that's very new. And I still get excited when I go shopping now and and I can try clothes on and I come out and, you know, people that are there with me go, oh, you look really great. And it's like, because I do, don't I? (laughs) And what's cool is you're doing this before you're at your goal weight, right? I mean, you're still 216 pounds. I don't know how tall you are, but my guess, are you 50-ish pounds still away from a goal weight? Or? About, yeah. Yeah, right? And you're doing this before you get to some magic number where you're giving yourself permission to love yourself and appreciate yep. your body. Yeah, I even went out and got a bathing suit when I was down in, in Florida. And I jumped into the springs down there. I've, I haven't been in a bathing suit in 30 years, right? <laughs> But you know what? I did it. And, you know, I'm just checking those things off the bucket list. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Out of the way, excuse me, a woman enjoy coming through. Hello. Yep, Yep, exactly. (laughs) Woman making up for lost time. Really great. Wonderful. You're going to pack so much life. And you know what? I think it would be really cool for me to do this interview once a year. People to see the transformation like year over year, just appreciate. Okay, next year you'll be at your goal weight. What's that like? Was there any panic when you hit that number? When you're in your light and lovely, you know, it's, you know, most healthy body. Um, That'll be super fun. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up today um, about tools or tips or words of encouragement that you want to give people who are way behind and trying to catch up to where you are? Um, I would say, you know, positive thinking, huge connection with people. Don't, you know, seclude yourself. Uh, 
find somebody, connect with them, even if it's five minutes a day, connecting with another human that understands what you're going through is just massive, you know, to know you're not going on this journey alone. There are other people out there that understand your journey mm-hmm. and can support you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the positive thinking, the, the, and, you know, sort of figuring out the whys. Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? How do people figure that out? Kim, how did you get some insight into that? Um, thankfully, I, you know, I had Jane and um, part of what she was doing was some coaching. So I was able to work with Jane and she provided me with a lot of tools to actually look at the why, you know, okay, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? What is your body feeling when you, you know, you're going through this, you know, um, and realizing it was okay to feel those things. It was okay for me to feel angry. What was not okay was for me to feed that anger or for me to carry on feeling angry. You know, it's like, okay, I have to feel the feeling, acknowledge the feeling and let the feeling go. Got it. So you discovered your whys in the moments of trigger. So you're thinking about food, you know, you don't want to eat compulsively eat, binge eat, overeat, eat food between your meals, food you don't need and want. Mm-hmm. That was your trigger. Oh my gosh, something's going on for me. So then maybe you took some quiet time and you pulled out a journal and you're like, what am I feeling emotionally? What am I thinking mentally? Yeah. What am I, what am I experiencing in my body and naming it? Yeah. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad, whatever. And then having some insights into what's really going on, what's driving this, this compulsive behavior. Yeah. It was that simple. It was that simple. Yeah. Got it. Love it. Yeah. Acknowledging it and the shame of it is gone once I've acknowledged it. Right. Yes. And that underground drive that we don't even, when we stop and look at it and observe it, all of a sudden we've got the space from it. We name it and we're like, okay. I'm angry. I'm not hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or am I thirsty? You know, have I had enough water today? You know, so, you know, stopping a second and, and getting in touch with my body. Yes. You know, what's my body feeling? You know, what does my body need? You know, am I low on salt? Am I low on electrolytes? Do I need water? You know, uh, cause I know the food that I eat has enough nutrition to keep me satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's not that there's, there's always going to be something else. Like, why am I feeling hungry? What have I done today? You know, or what's happened around me to cause me to feel hungry. Am I really hungry or is it just my emotions that are triggering me to. What are my real needs? Yeah. I love it. Kim, any final words? Don't give up because the miracle really is just around the corner. Thank you so much. What a beautiful story. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.